Hi, everyone, and welcome to Focus Forward, an executive function podcast where we explore the challenges and celebrate the wins you'll experience as you change your life by working on improving your executive function skills. I'm your host, Hannah Choi. Before I tell you about today's episode, I wanted to share that we have a podcast email now. You can reach out to me at podcast at beyondbooksmart.com. Send me your episode topic ideas. I'd love to hear from you. Okay, so today we're getting real. Not like we haven't been real in the past. Talking about EF challenges is very real, but we're getting extra real today. Recently, our podcast team was having a conversation about how having ADHD impacts people at work, and someone shared that a friend of theirs is a nurse who has ADHD, and she had finally found a position at a hospital that truly supports and embraces her, ADHD and all. We wanted to explore the idea of holding a job where you're constantly giving, 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 and often supporting people with EF challenges while also managing your own EF challenges. We reached out to a coach of ours, Beth Malvino, who works as a coach for two social workers, Lena and Cassie. They joined me and Beth to share their stories about the difficulties they face in managing their own executive dysfunction while supporting others. They'll provide insights into the unique challenges that healthcare workers with ADHD encounter and the work they do to overcome them. You'll hear Beth offer her valuable and rather touching perspective on Lena and Cassie's EF journeys. All three of them share the tools and strategies that Lena and Cassie have found helpful in supporting their executive function challenges. In addition, we explore self-care, the limitations for neurodiverse people within the systems in which we work and live, and combating that negative narrative that runs through the heads of many people with ADHD. I am sure that anyone listening today who has EF challenges and works in healthcare spaces will really relate to much of what you'll hear today. And just to note that there is some light swearing in this episode. If you've got any young kids with you who happen to be super interested in the impact of ADHD on healthcare workers, you might want to give them a heads up. Okay, now on to the show. Hi, y'all. I, I learned that from Lena. Lena and Cassie and Beth are joining me today to talk about executive function challenges for people who work in healthcare spaces. And Lena is from originally from Texas. And so we were talking about y'all. So I thought I'd try that out today. So um, would you guys, uh, would you like to introduce yourselves? Lena, do you want to start? Sure. Um, hi, I'm Lena. Um as Hannah said, I'm originally from Texas, but I currently live in Chicago. Um, I work in social work. Um, I'm getting my master's in social work with a concentration in mental health. But I have some background in public administration and policy work, um, particularly within criminal justice spaces. Um, or I like to say the criminal system of injustice, just because that's what we have right now. Yes. And it's, uh, you know, I work within the realm of mental health and um, people who've been impacted by that system. So, um, yeah, it's really great to be here with all of you, and I'm excited to chat. Thank you. And Cassie? 
Hello, um, <clears throat> my name is Cassie. I am a school social worker slash guidance, not guidance, adjustment counselor. Um, I, and I don't work at a typical school. I work at a therapeutic day school. So my kiddos have, they range, our youngest right now is seven, our oldest is 20. Um, and they range from uh, all kinds of mental health diagnoses, trauma backgrounds, emotional behavioral disabilities. Um, so it's funny thinking about kind of our, our uh, topic of today is, you know, having EF uh, concerns while working in, in healthcare, but it's like, I have EF concerns and I'm surrounded by children who also <clears throat> are very dysfunctional when it comes to EF and also mm -hmm. kind of in general. Um, so it's just kind of funny to think about that, that juxtaposition. So, yeah. And I really want to get into that uh, today because that is, um, it, you two are not the only people out there who work in that work and also have an executive function challenges. So I'm sure mm -hmm. that there uh, are other people who will hear this conversation and be really be able to, to resonate with, uh, or relate to relate with what you have to say. And last we have Beth, who is, um, well, Beth, you explain how you uh, know Lena and Cassie and what your role is in, um, in the world. Sure, sure. So hi, I'm Beth. Um, I've been a licensed clinical social worker for more than 20 years. Um, I have worked in lots of different healthcare settings, mostly <clears throat> hospitals uh, with different populations of people. I've been in psychiatry, medicine, hospice, oncology. I had my own private practice for a while. I ran virtual support groups for grief and divorce during the pandemic. And now I am an executive function coach uh, at Beyond Booksmart. And I, uh, I, I currently work with Lena and Cassie. Uh, they've been my clients for some time now. And so I'm really going to enjoy talking to them today because they've had such an amazing journey. So I'm uh, looking forward to sharing that and hearing their perspectives from that. Yeah, great. I can't wait to hear this too. Um, and uh, Lena and Cassie, um, why did you seek out um, executive function coaching? Yeah, so I sought out um, executive function coaching um, because I was diagnosed with ADHD as an adult in 2021. So it was like a year after the pandemic had started. Um, and I didn't start coaching until last year, 2022, like I had waited a while. Um, just cause you know, when you're an adult and you get diagnosed with something that you've had your whole life and things didn't make sense. And you finally got that. I like to think of it as like a lens that you could see through your life and look at all the pieces that didn't fit together. And now you have this lens of information that you could see more clearly all of the um, challenges and triumphs and really um, weird stuff in your life. Um, it, you know, it can take a while to kind of like figure out what you need and unmask yourself. Um, and so I started coaching last year because I really, you know, I read all the books about ADHD and what it's like, but to put things into practice is what really was hard for me. 
um, identifying how my brain worked and trying out different things. I didn't even know where to start to do that. Um, and so that's why I sought out coaching just because, you know, putting like you can rationally and in your head know all these things, you know, read all the books, but it's a whole other thing to put what you've learned into practice. And that's why I sought out coaching. Um, and it's, you know, greatly improved my mental health too, even though it's not a mental health service. Um, you know, it's, you know, just being able to put things in practice and learn more and get more information has improved my anxiety a lot, just because I know I have different tools and different strategies than I did before. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's worked in conjunction with therapy already um, that has improved a lot of things in my life and has helped make my work, you know, both in and out of school and in and out of social work um, a lot better for me. Um, so I, when is it? I think I, I think we started in winter, like December of 2021, I think. Um, recently I'm like, oh, well, I have a different insurance. Like, let's see if there's a psychiatrist nearby that can like assess me and like take over my meds and whatnot. Um, so I'm actually hopefully going to be starting that soon which would be great because mm -hmm. um, there's a number of things, not just the um, attention and focus and whatnot, but there's other things that I'm like, ah, I think I want somebody who knows stuff about this to help me figure things out. Um, <clears throat> and that's kind of the same uh, thinking that uh, got me here as well. Um, I sought out coaching because I was miserable. I was felt like I was drowning in work. Um, and I couldn't kind of wrap my head around it because I have always been the smart kid. I've never had to work too hard at school. Um, and even like college was mostly fine. Grad school was mostly fine. But when I started my first big girl salary job with my MSW, I couldn't manage it. Like I knew how to do the tasks that I was supposed to do. Um, that, so that wasn't the issue. The issue was actually just getting them done, starting them and finishing them. Um, so I was always behind on things. I was staying really late at work. Um, I had already gone to my supervisor, who is amazing, and she, you know, had given me some suggestions for what works for her and, um, you know, tried to get me a new planner and we, like, moved my schedule around to see if that helped. And so it had probably been a good more than six months that I'd been like really aware of the fact that I was just very unhappy at work. Um, and then I finally was like, I kind of, I, I had to bite the bullet because again, like I'm used to just coasting through things. I'm used to just being successful with not a lot of effort and to be like, okay, no, like I need help. I am struggling really, really bad. Um, it got to the point where I was like waking up in the morning and hoping that I would get a text message that say that there was a natural gas leak on campus and so that I didn't have to go in like because I worked at a residential campus and so there were no like there were no days off like it was Monday through Friday no matter what no matter if there was a blizzard no matter if it was a national holiday like we we went in um so yeah so I was I was just very very unhappy and was like all right like it's not it's not a matter of not knowing how to do it, it it's just actually 
getting my work done. It's not no, not knowing how to do it. It's being able to make it happen. So that's why. I, yeah, and and Lena, you said that it's not a it's not a mental health service, but like I, honestly, right now I feel like I have three different therapists in some way because I have my actual individual therapist that I speak with like once or twice a month. And then I have mm-hmm. my supervisor at work who is amazing and supportive and wonderful. And then I also have Beth and it's like, it's, yeah. I feel like having all of these supports in my corner has been like really, really helpful. So. Yeah. I, I want to affirm that. Like, I know, you know, there's supposed to be a difference between coaching and therapy, but there have been several times where Beth and I, and I'm sure it's the same way for you, Cassie, where it, the coaching session does kind of turn into oh, yeah. the first, a therapy the first, session. Like, three or four or five sessions, I was just like crying to her, like, I yep. don't know why I can't do this. I'm yeah. hard. This is hard. Like, why is it so when, hard to just type words into my computer? Ah. Or even like when the big feelings show up because you have some big feelings about something and you're just crying about it and you're just like I don't know how to emotionally regulate <laughs> <laughs> it shows you how closely connected our emotions are with our executive function skills mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. it is you cannot separate them and and so it's really great that you're that you're working with a therapist as well because then you're able to take things that you learn in each and and bring them together And it was also, I always recommend that to my clients who aren't seeing therapists already. It was also really important to me as I was in the process of like signing up that like, you know, I am, I am a, an MSW. Um, I, you know, I have my license. I like, I want to work with somebody who has similar training because like, I feel like you know, I kind of like, I've seen behind the curtain, like I know, like, you know, I'm aware of the different theories and whatever and and like I wanted to work with somebody else who also had that same background I have to say that uh I think and I was thinking about this last night when I was sort of preparing for this podcast today you know what what has been really important in in the coaching relationship with with both of you and I think there's been an element of relatability um, that I maybe didn't realize how important that was until we we all started working together. Um, because I'm a social worker, I mean, there's there's that capacity to understand. Even though we we've all done different things, like I've never done any of the types of roles that that you both are in, um, but yet I can still empathize because I know what it's like to have to chart you know, 50 notes in a week and have to, you know, feel and to feel like there's a thousand emails that haven't been responded to. And just the whole concept of giving so much of yourself, because that's what we do. You know, we're helpers, we're healers and feeling as if there's just nothing left at the end of the day. And when you throw in things like executive dysfunction and time distortion on top of that I it's just I can only imagine how difficult that must be because I know that I have felt that way in lots of work settings and I and I don't have executive dysfunction 
And so I can only imagine how difficult that must have been. So I think there's definitely the, the idea of being um, empathetic to that, I think, has really helped us to bond as coach and client. Um, and that's been a, an important part of the process. Can we explore that a little? The idea of what you just said about how you have to give yourself all day to people who really, really, really need you. And mm-hmm. also you're giving yourself as a person who is struggling with executive function and you're likely supporting someone who is also struggling with executive function. So how do you, like, what does that look like for you? What is, what is, is that a struggle? And when, what does it look like? For, for me, it looks like uh, being transparent to some degree with my students. Um, there have been so many times where, um, cause in my role, I go into our classrooms and I lead like group counseling. So we, right now we're working on the zones of regulation. Um, <clears throat> but what it looks like sometimes for me is like kind of being explicit and like, Oh, like that's a really good question, kiddo. But like, and I, you know, you know that I want to hang out and chat with you about anything under the sun, but like right now I need to focus on finishing this lesson or like a kiddo will ask me like, Hey miss, can, you know, can you come check in with me later? Or, um, can we work on this thing? And like, just being very explicit, like, yes, I will try to remember, or I will write it down, but like, like just kind of like being honest about like, I, this is important and I want to do it, but like if an emergency comes up or if whatever, you know, it may not happen. Um, and asking the kids to be like, Hey, help me remember that next time we have group, I want to do X, Y, Z. Or, um, if you see me in the hallway, ask me about this and then I can let you know when I find out the answer. Um, so it's kind of, in some ways it's, it's being honest and kind of modeling for the kids. Um, and then, and then it's also, um, working with my colleagues, um, kind of in a more intentional way also, um, one of the big benefits that I've noticed since starting coaching is just the change in my kind of thinking patterns or my habits. Right now, uh, I am very lucky that I have an awesome clinical intern who is um, working on her MSW as well. And so oftentimes what we'll do is um, she'll get there in the morning and I'll be, you know, answering emails or whatever. And we'll kind of sit down and like have like a, a kind of a planning session. We're like, all right, so today for group, we're going to work on this thing. Um, I don't think Anthony class has finished their worksheet, so we'll finish that up for them. But Du Bois class, they did finish, so we're going to move on to this one. We kind of just like make a plan for the day. And then we also were like, all right, so after groups, like what's our priority? Like we really need to finish this assessment. We really need to uh, finish planning for the next two groups. Like it's been really helpful for me to have that conversation with somebody else and say like, all right, these are our priorities for the day. That's been something that's been really helpful for me because it's, you know, I can have that conversation with myself in my head, but it's just, it's that there's no external accountability, which is another thing that I really, um, gain benefit from. So it's what it looks like is modeling it for the kids and then practicing it myself, even when I'm not with the kids. That's awesome. And then, and then building in the accountability of having a partner. Mm-hmm. And advocating for yourself that you need that partner and that you, you know, this, like that, building that relationship with her, I'm sure is invaluable for both of you. 
What about you, Lena? Um, so there's a few components for how I deal with it in my work. Um, so right now I am working in substance use, just to give some background. Um, I work with adults um, in the west side of Chicago who, you know, for various reasons have used substances to cope with their life and their realities and their pain. Um, and, you know, when I work with a bunch of people like this, especially people who are, you know, mandated to treatment by the justice system or the criminal system of injustice system, um, I, you know, struggle a lot with, and just not even that, you know, I don't know how many people are aware of how recovery spaces are, but they're pretty rigid. You know, if you're in recovery homes, there's very, like, I work with a lot of patients who are in recovery homes and the rigidity of certain recovery homes just gives no flexibility for a client to have autonomy in their life and in their treatment and in their program. Um, and I take a harm reduction approach um, where, you know, we look at recovery and look at how do we manage reducing unnecessary harm without trying to eradicate the issue, right? Um, because we know it's going to exist. We know it's going to, you know, it has existed for centuries. You know, people have been using substances for centuries, but how do we um, reduce unnecessary harm that can come from doing that? Um, and what that also means is defining recovery and however the individual defines it, right? And sometimes if a person comes in with a very rigid idea of what recovery can be and trying to fit themselves into a box that doesn't necessarily work for them. I resonate with that because I tried to do that my whole life, right? With having undiagnosed ADHD, I was just coping all the time and trying to fit myself into boxes that didn't necessarily fit for me, but I was working so hard and so, um, yeah, I was just working so hard for so long in spaces that were never meant to fit me, right? And so a lot of what I've done with clients and with patients is just like a lot of validation of being like, yeah, this shit's hard. There's no rule book to how life should be, but we have all these expectations within these systems that we're in to meet, unfortunately. And I'm a very systems-based person. I always have been because I've always noticed that's like one of my... ADHD superpowers, I would say, is I've always noticed how systems really suck and they don't allow people to have choice and autonomy to do things that is actually better for them. You know what I mean? Um, and so that's how I see it a lot with my clients and with my patients. And even for me, I have to, you know, I'm still in graduate school. I have all these expectations to meet for school. I have all these expectations to meet within my clinical internship, which is doing the substance use work. Um, and one of the things that Beth and I did was we broke down all the things that I have to do. Like we literally wrote it out being like, you have to do CSRs, TPRs, individual sessions, group therapy sessions, <laughs> individual notes, group notes, case management notes, housing notes, all these things. And when you really break it down, it's like all these expectations and for what, <laughs> right? And for what? It's just so exhausting. And so I, 
you know, I, I even started doing that with my patients being like, all right, let's look at your recovery program and being like, look at all these expectations and you're exhausted. Like there are hard things that add to your life and there's hard things that don't. And then there's hard things that are a little bit of both. And how do we recognize those things that do add to our life um, and try to minimize the things that don't and start making things that work better for you. So it's, yeah, I do it, you know, a lot of validation at my work and my job, especially with the clients who are within the criminal system of injustice, because those expectations are just out of pocket. I'm just like, why does this have to exist this way? Um, especially for this person that already has so many different systems working against them. Um, and in a lot of ways, we as people with executive functioning challenges work within systems that are working against us too. Um, and that's really challenging and really hard. Um, yeah. And and something that I just this talk about systems is so interesting because as a person who has executive function challenges, I mean, all people need to build systems for themselves that they can rely on. And when you are a person with executive function challenges, your system is probably going to look really different and not fit in well to the existing systems that are already there, which mm -hmm. I think is pretty much what you were just saying, Lena. Um, and, and it's, I don't know, it's just interesting that, um, that, that systems can be critical for success and they can be really limiting when there is no flexibility mm -hmm. and there's no consideration for the variety of needs that, that people have. And that's, what's so beautiful about taking the time and, and, um, and not taking the time. That's what's so beautiful about discovering the aspects of yourselves that are strong and that you can rely on and how you can use those to um, support the areas that are, that are more challenging for you and how, um, yeah, taking, taking the time to really think about it and to really say like, what do I need and how can I create that for myself? And when you are spending your whole day supporting other people and giving and giving and giving and giving, it's probably pretty difficult to like stop and just be like, wait, what do I need? And how do I support myself in this time? So do you, what do you do for yourself to recover from a really difficult day or um, manage executive function? I mean, other than like what you shared already, like, is there maybe self-care that you do to, you know, to alleviate some of that pressure that I'm sure that you feel trying to fit into these systems that, that are there? Um, something that I have been doing, actually that my, my whole family has been doing, is ever since the pandemic started, my, uh, my mom, my dad, and my older sister and I, it's just the four of us in my immediate nuclear family, um, we have weekly family video calls. Um, and that actually evolved from way back when the pandemic very first started, my sister reached out to us and was like, I'm really worried about the state of the world. Can we just do a video call just to check in with each other? 
and then we really enjoyed it, so we did it again the next night, and the next night, and the next night. So we, we, I talked to my parents and my sister every single day for, I don't know, four or five months of the pandemic. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, once I finished grad school, and once I... Um, moved out here for my first big girl salary job. Uh, we did cut it down to twice a week and now we're down to once a week, but because we had that kind of foundation of updating each other on every part of our days because we talked every single day, um we just have a much I think a much stronger relationship, a much more open and comfortable relationship it just has a whole family unit and so we talk about a lot of things like we are much more open about our mental health about our needs um you know sometimes my sister will talk about how she you know I'm, I'm feeling really down today like my depression is pretty bad um or you know we'll joke with mom about how like mom like you have undiagnosed ADHD even though it's sometimes in a joking way we're much more open about our own struggles and mental health needs and everything and I think that's been instrumental for me, I think it's been really, really helpful just personally, but I also think that it's improved all of our lives just to have that regular communication and that comfort. Um, so for me, family is a really big part of my self-care. I know that that's not the case for everyone. Um, for other, for some people, like family creates stress um, and that's totally valid. But for me, family time has been a really big part of my self-care. And hopefully for people, that's where their chosen family can step in. And Lena, what about you? What do you do to take care of yourself? Oh, man, we're trying to figure that out, to be honest. Um, one of the things that my ADHD loves to do is not let me recognize certain bodily cues, like eating. Because um, I get so hyper-focused during the day in my work that I forget to eat. I legitimately don't get those cues to eat. Um, and then it isn't until like three, maybe sometimes two o'clock, two or three in the afternoon. I'm like, why can't I focus? Oh, you haven't eaten since seven this morning. Like, you know, <laughs> like I, like it's those things that, you know, really begin to challenge. So lately self-care has been trying to eat more um, and just trying to, you know, find certain foods or certain things that I will eat um, during the day or have access to or that is easier to manage and sort of time myself. Um, that's been hounding me to set an alarm for lunch. Um, and so, yeah, like that's sort of what comes to mind immediately. But, you know, I think for me too, lately, I've been recognizing how I can't just push through certain tedious tasks anymore. Like I have to, like in order for me to do the really hard thing that my brain really don't want to do, I got to do something fun before I do it, you know? So I got to like read a chapter of the book that I'm reading or watch a stupid YouTube video or, you know, do something that I actually like doing before I get into this thing. Um, or use the thing that I really like doing as the reward for doing the really hard thing. So I've been trying to give myself space to have more fun um, and to have more um, rest and play um, and silliness and laughter and being with people that, you know, 
make me laugh and understand my humor because as social workers we got some very wild spectrums of humor um and when you're with people who get that humor it is the best it's like wild you would think we're nuts or need to go be hospitalized or something but it's like really a good time being with the people that get it and understand the type of work that we're dealing with all day every day because it it gets really hard like i'm not going to sugarcoat and say that our jobs are easy because they're not and it's very you know we're in a profession that is severely undervalued so we have to be very intentional about taking care of ourselves to deal with said systems um and i'm trying to be a lot better about that i we're working on it it's always a work in progress, but it's a lot better than what it used to be. <laughs> so. We're all work in progress. It works in progress. Mm-hmm. I just, I just had um, a, a wonderful experience on the other night. I um, got to go to a presentation by um, a clinical psychologist called Dr. Allison Roy, and she's out of New Hampshire, and she, um, she works, um, she works in with. Uh, from a perspective of trauma-informed care. And she did a presentation on um, the brain, which I'm a total nerd about. So I was just like mm-hmm. on the edge of my seat the whole night. And she talked about um, about how we um, can get out of our, the fear center part of our brain, like the, you know, like the, the, fight and flight and freeze part and and up into our prefrontal cortex where all of our executive function skills are so our thinking brain so we can use that and she uh, was talking about how this idea of flocking and how flocking is when you you have a flock you have you spend time with people who get you who understand you um you you have social connection and and when you do that you're able to nourish the and support your limbic system the emotional part of your brain which really allows you to access your um your prefrontal cortex and your thinking part and she was just talking about there is so much value in finding a flock. And so whatever your flock is, like you said, Cassie, your family is your flock and you get so much value from that. And Lena, your, you know, your fellow social workers who really get you and get where you're coming from. And so I'm just so glad to hear that you both put that in as and value that as part of your self-care, because according to the brain research, it's really what you do need to do. So, um, and the mm-hmm. other thing that she talked about, Lena, and I'm so glad you mentioned this, was the idea of play. And she said, it is so important. Why do we stop playing? Why do we stop having fun? And, um, and, and play is a huge component of our mental health and of just feeling better about ourselves and, and enjoying our lives and, and, and staying out of that, like the, the kind of like primal part of our brain and we're able to to stay up higher in the in the thinking part and so it's I'm just glad to hear that you're to you're doing that too I wanted to just piggyback on what what you just said because it really resonated with me that you know we get so what regardless of whether or not you have any kind of diagnosable executive function challenges I think we all get bogged down with things that we think we have to plan. You know, we have work and or, you know, parenting responsibilities or things that we have to do 
um, in life that we, we feel like we have to plan these things. And I think for a lot of us, we forget to plan fun and sort of bringing that to the, to the conscious and, and really scheduling fun, um, I think is so important. And I talk about that a lot with, with clients because I find that they get very wrapped up as we all do in the things that they have to do and not necessarily the things that they like to do. Yeah. And I, think I, start, I decided that a few yeah. years ago to, um, it all started where I, um, my sister-in-law wanted to go in the water and it was so cold. And I was like, I don't want to go in the water. It's too cold. And she's like, come on, just have fun. I'm like, yeah, I need to have more fun. Yeah. So I decided to try to be a lot more intentional about that. And I, and I have noticed a big difference. My kids think I'm crazy, but like <laughs> grownups should not be having that much fun. But <laughs> I think it really helps. That's a big part of my self-care. So I, I mean, Lena and I talked about our self-care, but I want to hear about from, from you and Beth as well. Mm-hmm. Beth, mm-hmm. do you want to go first? Oh, wow. self Yeah. I mean, self-care is something that does have to be intentional for me. I have to remember to do it because I just, you know, like everyone else, I have things that I have to do and I try to get those things done. Um, and there are days that go by where I haven't done any self, like true self-care and I kind of get mad at myself. I'm like, why didn't I, you know, take a moment? And so I, I do try to be more intentional about the kind of self-care that I do. Um, so re- recently we, we took a trip to Florida and that we were in Orlando and they have these um, electric scooters that you can just kind of, you know, zip around town on. And I'd never done anything like that. And and my kids who are, you know, they're teenagers. And so they're used to scootering around on different types of <laughs> machinery. Um, they were all just like jumping on and, and whizzing down the block. And I was almost like, oh, that I can't do that. Like, that's not for me, that's, that's not like, that's not okay. Why, why would I do that? I'm not a kid. And then I, I kind of, I kind of forced myself to do it. And I had the best time. Yeah. Awesome. I, I had the wind in my hair and (laughs) I was flying down the sidewalk and like ringing the bell and people were stepping aside and I felt like a kid again. And that was a very intentional choice that I made to do that. And I'm glad I did it. Now I have those memories too. And now maybe I'm more likely to try that again in a different setting. So yeah. I really do try to try to make it an intent, like an intentional decision. Like today I'm going to do something. It doesn't even have to be big. It doesn't have to be going to a spa. Like I'm not going to do something. But it might be, it's a really beautiful day. I'm going for a walk today. I'm just going to make sure that I get some sunshine in today. Um, and, and I do try to make that intentional and kind of schedule that around the other things that I had to plan for that day. Yeah. What I do for myself, the sort of like main self-care act is similar in that I, 
I practice the strategies that I that I know work for me when I'm in a moment where I'm really having a hard time. So like I have some anxiety. So I um, I make myself practice breathing when I'm not in an anxious state um, so that when I am in that state, it's much easier for me to access that. Um, and I also I'm working really hard on um my negative self-talk. And, um, and so I try very hard to talk positively to myself when I'm just doing regular stuff, <laughs> like, like celebrating these like super small wins. It doesn't have to be anything big, but just practicing that, um, that more supportive talk to myself, uh, really helps so that when I, I have made a decision that I'm not happy with, or something happens that didn't go as I expected, um, it, it does come a little bit more easily to me to, to say something nice to myself instead of saying something mean. Um, so that's mm-hmm. the practice of it when I don't need it is, is a, a huge thing for me. Um, and then also spending time with other people is absolutely number, like probably like other than the practice, that's the most important thing for me and exercise too. I, I need to exercise if I don't exercise. I always like, why do I feel like crap this week? Oh, cause I did not <laughs> prioritize that. So, yeah. Thank you for asking Cassie. It's a, it's a, it's a conversation that more people should have because in, I, I think because in having those conversations, you can really learn a lot from what other people do for their self-care. And it doesn't always look like going and getting a massage. Like if I go get a massage, I feel guilty that I went and got a massage. And so now I don't feel Same. good at all. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's uh yeah, it doesn't always look like bubble baths or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. Like I just want to piggyback off of that. It's just like lately I've been trying to intentionally remember that I can do things because I can like and not because i have to justify it like that's been really you know i've always felt like i've had to justify everything i do like justify a feeling or justify needing to do this or just doing that and i'm just like no i can go get an ice cream cake because i can i'm an adult i could make that decision if i wanted to like if i want to and i don't need to justify it if i want a massage i don't need to justify getting a massage if I want to do this, I don't have to, I could do it because I can and not because I have to justify it. So I've been trying really hard to do that more often. And like, you know, if I want to make a nice meal for myself, I can do that and not feel like, oh, you have to do it because you have to have a reason. Like, no, I don't have to have a reason all the time to do the that. thing I want to do. Yeah. So, just giving yourself permission yeah. to just do and it because you, you want to. Yep. And because you deserve yeah. it. Yeah. And that's part of the... That's another hard part to get your, to wrap (laughs) your head around. Because, you know, when you're diagnosed with ADHD as an adult, you know, you were invalidated a lot as a child for things that, you know, you needed. But, you know, by, you know, oh, you're just too sensitive or, oh, you're just too much or you're just this or just that. And like, you know, going through this process of like, no, you do deserve good things. You do deserve the things you need. Like, it's okay to have your needs met. That's That's been a big part of this whole journey, I would say. <laughs> so, yeah, we, yeah, we talk about that a lot. I think when you're diagnosed as an adult, it kind of brings another layer of challenges because you have, you have to fight some negative narratives. And Hannah, you were just talking about, you know, the negative talk 
that goes through your head. You have to fight that. You know, sometimes you have to fight years of that, whether it was heard, you know, from other people or whether it was, it was things that you were saying to yourself. Um, that's that's really hard. It's hard to change habits when what's going on in your head is still you know, that negative loop of I can't, or I'm not good enough, or I don't deserve, or I'm broken. And so, you know, when we talk about coaching versus therapy, sometimes there is that overlap of, you know, how do I, how do I get past, how do I change that negative loop in my head so that I can, you know, work with the brain that I have. And Cassie, we, we've, Cassie came up with one of the best um, I don't know what if it's a metaphor or just best phrases. She came up with one of one of the best phrases, and I still use it today with um, with all my clients. Is your you know part of coaching is rewriting the manual for your brain, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that. that just really spoke to me when when she said that, and I, I I still repeat it all the time because it's so true. It's not about fixing what's wrong it's right. about working with what you have yes and so i i think that you know it it takes an awful lot of courage to ask for help um, yeah <laughs> yeah yep. so you know i i really give a lot of credit to both lena and cassie for for reaching out because it's not easy and we're, you know, they're both extremely emotionally intelligent women who, you know, who work in the field. And I think it's, I think that in some ways makes it harder, you know, as people in social work and, and maybe even in healthcare in general, we're, we're, we're there to help other people and we're good at it and maybe not so good at kind of looking back at ourselves or looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying, well, what do I need help with? So. I, I just want to acknowledge that it it really takes an awful lot of courage to do what they've done and to to be on this journey and to have to have been open to this journey, which both of them really are. Yeah, I want to say something too, you know, because within the realm of I don't know how many people know how the intricacies of healthcare works, but you know there's this thing called evidence-based practice. <laughs> and sometimes evidence-based practice can be at odds with us people with executive functioning challenges, because a lot of times the evidence that they're basing their stuff off of doesn't include people like us in the research. So, I have a hard time navigating, especially mental health spaces that rely on evidence-based practices, but we're working with populations that were never included in the research for, you know? And I, as a person with ADHD and EF challenges, working with a lot of people with ADHD and EF challenges that have either gone overlooked, undiagnosed, or invalidated, um, struggle a lot by even my own peers within the social work and mental health field, because not only do we have to navigate the challenges of 
working with our patients, but we also have to navigate the challenges of working with peers that don't see that. And just because our approach is different doesn't mean that it's wrong. Um, and just because it's, yeah, and just because it's, you know, you may not understand it doesn't mean that we are wrong in approaching our work differently in that way. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of complexities with that. And you're doing all of that navigating while managing your executive function challenges. You're not doing that in this vacuum where, you know, where you're just like <laughs> skipping around, remembering everything and not finding anything stressful. So it's, it's a lot. And I commend you all, all three of you for, you know, the work that you've done and continue to do. And um, it's, it's, I'm just so glad that you are here today and talking about this. And, and, um, and I really hope that lots of people hear this and are able to really relate and um, hopefully feel validated. That validation is huge. Um, And it's, it's, it's a, Right, Lena, I can imagine that maybe if you, if someone validated your perspective and validated where you're coming from, it would probably feel a lot better than... I probably would have gotten diagnosed as a kid instead of an adult, you know? Yeah. I probably would have been heard, (laughs) you know? So there's, you know, there's a lot of challenges and complexities within that. And yeah. I don't want to sound like a negative Nelly because I do think evidence-based practices has its times and place, but you know, that's where the creativity of meeting patients and clients where they're at and truly validating their experiences in their life and having that relational approach rather than just purely scientific, purely medical, purely whatever bullshit they like to throw at us. (laughs) Yeah. The systems that that exist exist partially because there's not enough funding and there's not enough mm-hmm. people and there's not enough attention there's not enough support there's not enough research there's not enough validation of the tr- troubles that there are out there and so it is difficult to provide individual support when you are not supported yourself. By oh yeah, fun. and that's no. We can talk know, about that for days. <laughs> yeah, as a systems-based person, you know, we have the resources to do those things. We just choose as a system not to do it. You know, yeah. and that's you know, I know I say I'm a social worker, but my first master's was in public administration, and you know, we have a bunch of the resources to do it. It's just we politically and power-wise yeah. choose not to, and that's yep. really. And we're working within that system all the yeah, time. Like I'm sure so Cassie sees so just how, you know, funding schools and funding children's programs affects her and her job and what she's limited in doing. And I know I struggle a lot with, I work with a lot of people who are on Medicaid, you know, like it's, and that's, that's severely limiting to what they need and they have a lot of high needs. So it's, yeah. you know, it's a system thing too. And we, have to constantly navigate those complexities yeah mm-hmm. it's a lot and the mm-hmm. people that you work with i'm sure are so grateful that you have made the choice in your life to to do the work that you're doing and and that you i'm sure your 
your work has been so positively impacted by the effort that you have put in um, to reach out for help for yourself and to do the work that you've been doing and will continue to do to support yourself, which just improves the support that you're able to give the people that you work with. So let's explore that a bit. I would love to hear from you, Beth, about your experience working with Cassie and Lena. I feel so honored to have been part of Cassie and Lena's journey, journeys. Um, and just to me, they're, they're huge executive function success stories. Um, they blow me away with how they manage and navigate their lives, their work. Um, and I wanted them to shine. And so I'm glad that I'm here to kind of hear, to hear them talk about these things uh, because it also validates um, the fact that they, they've done so much work. I mean, I, I love talking about people's journey, especially when they, when they come to the, um, and, and, this, and it is by no means the end of a journey now, like they're still on the journey. But just having bared witness to it has been really, really wonderful for me. Um, and I, I just, I'm so glad that I could be here to, to hear them, to, you know, to talk about it. And I don't know if, if it's okay with them. I'd love to share some of the things that I've seen just in terms of their coaching journey. Oh my goodness. I mean... When I first started working with Cassie, I'll just start there. Um, she she was really struggling. She was emotionally spent. She doesn't didn't understand why she, why she was leaving late every day. She couldn't plan or prioritize. Um, I think structuring her unstructured time was one of the biggest hurdles she she was experiencing. There was a lot of procrastination. My, my own brain would distract me. I'd be in the middle of a task. I'd be like, oh, I wanted to do this other thing. And then I would do that other thing and then not finish the original task. So there was a lot of that going on. Transitions were also really hard and just getting distracted, doing one thing and being distracted by another. Um, even just simple things. And, and, you know, this goes back to what Lena was saying about remembering to eat lunch. Just basic needs. Uh, sleep food, hygiene, you know, those kinds of things. I think sometimes people forget that without that, you, your executive functioning kind of falls apart. And so you have to kind of go back to basics and say, you know, what do I need right now? Why am I feeling this way? Um, could it be because you haven't had lunch or you didn't sleep well or you stayed up on your phone till three in the morning just doom scrolling? You know, is there... There's, there are reasons that these things happen. Um, so just in terms of Cassie's journey, you know, I've watched, I watched her go from sort of this almost despondent person who was really not um, happy in her role, in her life, and felt just things were very much out of her control. And then she kind of shifted, she changed jobs. And that shift 
made a huge difference for her in, in everything, her demeanor, her affect, um, her mood. I mean, it was such a big change because I saw her finally doing something that she really, truly loved. And from that came so many mm-hmm. other amazing changes for her. She, she was, for a while, she had been um, using a thought collector. You remember the thought collector? Mm-hmm. So yep. the, the thought collector was like a, it was basically a, a notebook of, and just a sort of list, uh, a running list of things that she had to like, do, right? Stream of consciousness. Stream of like, consciousness. Oh. It could, because like I said, when I would be like, all right, I need to write this note. I need to summarize a 45 minute individual therapy session. Go. Um, but then as I was having like, oh yeah, uh, my kiddo asked me to reach out to her mom or my, you know, I have to send this email. And so in the middle of this hard job that I didn't want to do, I would remember a quicker, easier job. And then I would like, oh, well, let me just do that real quick. And then I would get distracted by looking for a worksheet related to this topic. And then I would get, so my thought collector was kind of like a brain dump of like, okay, I know this is important. I don't want to forget it. I'm going to write it down and then I'm going to keep doing the hard things I don't want to do. Yeah, that's great. And And a lot of that, I remember even during the early sessions that we had, it was kind of almost reactive. You, you would look at the thought collector and say, okay, what, what have I not done that I should have done this week? And let me get that done first. And so it was very sort of reactive in that, in nature. Um, like, let me, let me finish what I haven't done that needs to get done. And then after a while, things kind of shifted where you were, you, you could take a more proactive stance and begin to plan ahead and begin yes. to prioritize. So instead of yes. looking back at what you hadn't done, you were able to look forward and look at the thought collector and say, what do I need to do going forward? What do I need to do this week? That was a big shift. Um, mm-hmm. The way you documented your notes even changed. Uh, and it was not a big change, but there was something that you had tweaked that made it easier to document for yourself. It was the way that you were copying and pasting. Yes. Some of your notes and just a small change like that made a huge difference. Yes. A micro optimization. Yes. Yeah. And I think that people don't recognize the, um, the, how that huge, that tiny, tiny, tiny little change can have such a huge impact. It's like, have you guys read Atomic Habits by James Clear? He talks a lot about how like, if you just make like 1%, like a a boat, if there's a ship and it's going in this one direction and it makes a 1% change turn or one degree turn I mean then it's actually going to end up in like a really huge different place but if you never make that change you'll just keep on going straight um and so that giving value to those small changes that can make a really big difference absolutely yeah Yeah. I think just I've also just been really um amazed at Cassie's ability ability to self-regulate um, when she, because she works with a population that is really not regulated. And so I, I ask her all the time. I mean, she, she gets physically assaulted at work and then she'll come to session and be like, oh, you know, I got hit today. And it's kind of like, just, it's almost like it's not, it doesn't affect her or she, she doesn't take it in. And um, she's still able to to cope and do the things that she wants to do that day and it doesn't get under her skin. And I'm, I've always been amazed by that. Um, 
because self-regulation is one of the hardest executive function skills to master. And especially if you're working with people who are not not regulated, that can be a really big challenge. So she just has that amazing ability to do that. That's great. So and that's, tell me all about Lena. And about Lena, Lena, oh my gosh. Lena, when Lena said she's a <laughs> verbal processor, <laughs> Lena and I struggle because our sessions typically go way over what they <laughs> and I and it's and I'm completely part of that because you know I'm because I love talking to her and because we we end up talking about things that you know are so relatable and so it's not uncommon for us to go like way <laughs> over our time limit. Um, you know, I think Lena, we have we have spent a lot of time talking about um, the inner narrative. Lena, I think, and I said this before that, you know, she was diagnosed as an adult. And so she, she brought with her some of those negative inner loops um, that tend to go through your head. And so we, we do spend a lot of time on that, um, which does bring a therapeutic component to coaching, but we're always able to relate it back to executive functioning. Um, And so but that, that's all part of it. You know, we only have one brain, right? And, and the, the toll that executive dysfunction takes on a person emotionally has to be acknowledged. It can't be compartmentalized. You can't just talk about my challenges with EF skills and also talk about the fact that I'm anxious, depressed, and sad. They go together. And so there's a lot of overlap. And so we, we do talk about that a lot. Um, You know, and one of the things that, and I think she mentioned it, you know, remembering to eat, for example, is just a basic need, right? We, we, and I think a lot of us just take it for granted, like, okay, you know, you could skip lunch and feel fine, but when you have executive function challenges, skipping lunch could mean not functioning at all later in the day and maybe not realizing how much of an impact that that has on you. Um, so we, we do talk about that a lot and, and remembering to put those things into her, like scheduling fun. We, like I need her to schedule lunch. I, I tell her it's as important as breathing as, as if think of it as, you know, medication or insulin or something that you need. It's not just a, a nice thing to have. Like you it's need not optional to yep. fulfill yourself and, and, and replenish yourself. Um, so we, we, we talk about that a lot. Um, and I'm also blown away by Lena's ability to self-regulate because she's working with some people who are seriously traumatized and have, you know, dual diagnosis and a lot, a lot of stuff going on in their lives. And I'm in awe of the fact that she is able to give so much of herself um, to them despite having challenges uh, with, with some of those same things, like self-regulation is, is very hard. You know, big feelings are hard to navigate. And as a social worker, it's so much easier to navigate that with other people, yes. you know, um, yes. but not with yourself. And no. so yep. it's, it's, it's a balance. And so we, we talk about that a lot, just being mindful of how she's feeling, because it's very easy to distract yourself with how somebody else is feeling. 
Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that Lena has done in coaching, which is just incredible, is she has utilized um, workspace sessions in a very unique way. And for those of you who don't know, workspace is one of the um, it, it's it's kind of it's it's a website that Beyond Booksmart runs um, where if you have something to do and it doesn't matter what it is, you sign up for a session and, and you have a person there who is there to help pull you through it and and to monitor how things are going and to be your cheerleader and to give you some tips and it sounds kind of simplistic, but it, it really does work. Having that external accountability of having another person there is very helpful. And so one of the things that oh, yeah. Lena has done, and I've talked to other clients about this because it's worked so well for her, is she was able to literally master task initiation <laughs> by Man. scheduling sessions very um, carefully during her week. So on Sunday, she would use a workspace session to tackle chores or get all her cooking done. Um, can I talk about Mount Lena? Is that okay? I, I, I figured it was going to come up. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we can talk about Mount Lena. Yeah. You want to yeah. tell everyone what Mount Lena is? Mount Lena is this corner of my bedroom where my dresser is. And you couldn't see the top of the dresser for months ah, because it's just a mountain of doom um <laughs> like just a mountain of doom like, like that's the best doom. i can describe it just of clothes of random things that somehow made its way to the top of my dresser and i couldn't see my dresser for since i moved into this apartment which was in 2021 up until earlier this year <laughs> congratulations yeah so workspace helped me tackle mount lena and it only took like a day and i was just like why why am i like this <laughs> i had a client who um who had the same um she also had a mountain and it was a, a desk at the bottom of her stairs in her living room and so we did that i just sat with her during an entire session and she cleaned it off and she did it and so that's the idea of body doubling, which, um, which Beth, you didn't name, but the body doubling is a super effective strategy for task initiation, especially for people with ADHD. And there's, um, there's like YouTube, you can, um, go on YouTube and just search for body doubling and there'll be like someone cleaning their closet out. You know, one, one of the things with Lena that I've, I've really seen because a lot of our sessions have been focused on that internet, you know, negative narrative that's been running through her head is her ability to take risks and to, um, you know, for, for example, looking, you know, thinking about relocating and going on job interviews and just, I mean, it's, it's terrifying to think about moving from one city to another. And that can often be an obstacle to task initiation is fear and she's really, really pushed past that. And she's, she's doing it. You know, it sucks having to really examine the things around you and yourself and your internal narrative to be like, 
oh, this is what I've had and this is what I know and it's comfortable, but it's not working anymore. And having to do things differently and having to really be like, no, this is what I really need. And that being at odds with, with what you thought you needed. And there's a grief in that. There's a sadness in that. And there's a lot of, um, yeah, just because it's good to make these changes doesn't mean that it doesn't feel shitty while you're doing it. <laughs> so it's, there's been a lot of that too. And, um, and it can, it can, um, I, I know like for myself, like it can making, it doesn't matter the size of the change, just mm-hmm. recognizing like, Oh, this, this thing that I've, the way that I've been doing it has not been working. Whether it's like, I don't know, mm-hmm. I used to keep a grocery list on a piece of paper and now I use any list <laughs> like just yeah. recognizing like this system that I that I've been using for so long it's actually not that great and mm-hmm. and admitting that and not beating yourself up over it and saying okay let me be open to something new and then trying the new thing can really that's difficult work to do whatever the size is, whatever the size is yeah yeah like there have been definite things like I was furious when I discovered that the dictate speech to text tool existed on Microsoft (laughs) Word this whole time that could have made my life so much easier if I had just known about it. Now you do. If I had known that I was a verbal processor, you know, I could have just spoken and wrote all my papers that way. But no, I didn't know that. Or, you know, I am so happy I have a Google Home Assistant now because that thing helps me out so much when it comes to like needing to verbally process I can just say hey I won't say it now say it hear me (laughs) but I can add this to this list like when I remember it and then I have it in my phone because it recorded it like my Costco list my Trader Joe list my regular grocery list or my Home Depot list or this or that you know or Amazon list like I can just remember like I can just say it it'll record it and then I don't have to remember it anymore and i don't have to feel like i you know because once it's out of the mouth it just goes poof in the brain like it's just gone (laughs) so like Um, like your google assistant is like a digital version of my thought collector yes yes Yes. i use my my alexa more often for alarms and time yes i do that too like hey in 30 minutes remind me to take the stuff out of the washer or i do that too alarm for this time so that i can actually go and take the trash out before Mm -hmm. it's midnight you know that or remind me to put the wash or the laundry that's in the washer in the dryer (laughs) so that i don't have to rewash it again because i forgot because it'll get all yeah like Mm -hmm. i I have to tell myself to do that or, you know, it helps a lot with, um, you know, I sleep with brown noise at night now. Me too. Um, brown noise is best. better than white noise. First it of all. is. It's so much better. And I, it's so much more soothing to me. And so I listen yep. to brown noise and that helps me out a lot. And it, you know, I have a hard time waking up in the morning. Um, I am not a morning person. I, I've come to accept this fact about myself after years of trying to become a morning person. Um, but what helps me wake up in the morning is turning on lights. Like I'm very light sensitive. And so I tell my Google to turn on my bedroom lights at a certain time in the morning. Like, nice. hey, turn on the bedroom lamp at such and such time, like at 630. And it'll do that. And I'll turn the lights on before I put my alarm so that it's sort of like a wake up yeah like a gradual thing so it's not as 
terrible as the way I was waking myself up before of getting a really loud alarm clock, putting it in my kitchen, and it it literally sounded like one of those loud school bells, like old 1950s school bells. And it was the worst way to wake up because it was just so abrasive and it made me get out of bed, which I didn't want to do. And yeah, just like being more gentle with how you do things because all the harsh ways that I was doing them before just weren't working. <laughs> you, you know what you're, you're, both of you are kind of capturing is that and it's sort of the essence of what we try to do in, in coaching too, in which both of you have really just navigated beautifully is, is the idea that it's not about trying harder. It's about trying differently. And I know I say that a lot. I still say that to both of you at times, but I say that just in general, that's sort of like a mantra that I have because that's really what it's about. It's, you know, the, the, the systems and the tools that you were using or didn't have before um, you know, it's, it's not about just working harder or putting in more efforts. It's, it's about learning new strategies and new tools and finding what works for you and what works for you may not work for someone else, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. And to kind of become comfortable with that idea that I just need, I just haven't yet figured out what tools work for me. And both of you have worked so hard over the course of your journey uh, in coaching to figure those things out, which has just been phenomenal and so amazing for me to witness. Well, I could literally talk about this all day, but I actually have a client at 1230. Speaking of eating, <laughs> I need to eat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining me and having this really, really, really important conversation. And it was really lovely for me to listen to hear to listen to your stories and and I appreciate your honesty and your openness and I know that um that our listeners will really appreciate that too and and Beth thank you so much for joining us and and providing the coach perspective it and also social worker perspective it's it's been it was really really enriched the conversation so thank you so much my pleasure thank you and that's our show for today. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation. As we talked about in this episode, validation is a huge part of feeling better about the challenges we face. And we really, really hope that someone out there feels validated after hearing these shared struggles. You are not alone. Listen to what Lena shared about why she wanted to be on the podcast and why she became a social worker. You know, I think it comes down to because I love people and I love creating spaces and holding space for people who don't feel like they belong um, or who don't ever feel validated just because I think most of my life I felt that way. And yeah, it's, you know, it's really important, even if it's in the smallest of ways um, or in ways that seem insignificant, nothing is ever insignificant, I think. If you know anyone who might really relate to Lena's and Cassie's stories, please share this episode with them. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen. Please reach out to us at podcast at beyondbooksmart.com. You can subscribe to Focus Forward on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you listen on Apple or Spotify, you can give us a boost by giving us a five-star rating. 
sign up for our newsletter at beyondbooksmart.com slash podcast. We'll let you know when new episodes drop and we'll share information related to the topic. Thanks for listening.